Well, let me take the time to say hello to who's ever watching, wherever you're watching today, and to our friend in Zambia, if you're watching. We can't wait to meet you, and uh, we can't wait to see what God's going to do. I want to talk this morning to men, so if you're a man in the house, wave at me, all right? If you're, you're a man in the house, let me, if you're, a male, if you're a male in the house, wave at me, that's a broader category. If you're a male in the house, wave at me. All right, we're going we're gonna to take you up, and we're going to encourage men today, all right? Are you, guys, are you ready? All you women should be saying, okay, great, encourage the men today. What's in it for me? Here's what's in it for you. Godly men in this house, that's a win for everybody. Come on, that's what you get. Yeah, we're going to talk. We're going to talk to the ladies in the weeks to come. Hey, and young people, we're not letting you off the hook. I got a message for, for young people that are still living under their parents' roof. Oh, you're not going to want to miss that one. Uh, you're not going to want to miss that one. It's going to be good because guess what? We're all fighting for the family. What we said last week was that the family is valuable. The family is worth fighting for. The family is precious, and none of our families are perfect, which means we all have to be fighting. Can I get an amen on that one? Uh, We have to be engaged. And here's the deal. We're never going to build great families if we don't, first of all, build great men. Now, ladies, ladies, this this is your message. If I say anything that halfway sounds good or that makes sense, and guys, don't take it personally. If your wife's next to you, she's not talking about you. Like, yeah, yeah. No, that's not her heart at all. But ladies, this is your chance, man. Hey, we need good men. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. That's right there. Hey, we're starting to learn this, David. We're going we're gonna to get this. Come on. We need good men because here's why. Men have been called by God to be the natural leaders, the point men of the family. If we're going to build good families, if we're going to have good marriages, we've got to have good men. We don't have good material to build with. We're not going to have good marriages. We don't have good material to build with. I'll just talk for Coralie. Coralie doesn't need a male. She needs a man. She needs a man. She needs a man on a mission. She needs a big man. She needs a man that with godly character. She needs a man that's radical, not just a run-of-the-will, wimpy American male. That's not what she needs. She's looking for a man of God. Are you all hearing what I'm talking about? Every single woman in this house, you don't need a male. You need a special kind of man that if we don't create those kind of men, build those kind of men, nurture those kind of men, they don't just fall out of heaven and they certainly don't fall out of the womb. They have to be shaped. They have to be developed. And so this morning, we are going to challenge men to lead. Now, let me just quickly say, Satan understands. You know, the Bible says, if you strike the the shepherd, the sheep will scatter. Men, you are the shepherd of your house. You are the one with the target on you. When I say, well, you know, men, you're called to lead. It's not like, yeah, I'm called. No, we all understand leading our wives and leading our families in a good way is one of the toughest things any man could ever be called to do. Men, can I get an amen from you on that one? This is not for the lighthearted, which is why I also say we shouldn't have males involved in marriages, forming marriages, when they don't have the character and the passion and the substance to be a man and lead a wife and lead kids. It's over your head. Don't get married if you're not ready. You're not ready yet. Because you have a target on you, the enemy will work to do two things. He will separate you men and work overtime to create emotional distance and eventually sever the relationship you have with your covenant partner. Is, how many men in here can testify that pursuing your wife's heart 
And keeping close emotionally and physically is a constant, ongoing battle. I don't mean that you have a bad marriage and it never works. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying, for me to pursue intimacy with my wife, emotionally, spiritually, physically, is a constant battle because Satan does everything that he can to to, to push us apart. The second area Satan attacks is a man's relationship with his children. Men, talk to me. Is there any worse feeling than feeling like your children are drifting from you and like you're not connecting with them? Is there any worse feeling in the whole wide world? It's terrible. And listen, because a man is a leader, a man is called to make sure that in those two relationships, his relationship with his bride and his relationship with his children, he is a point man. He is at the point of the spear. He is fighting overtime. He's being vigilant. He's not allowing anything to come into those two relationships. In fact, the Bible says this, that it's not good even to go to sleep at night if there's something in your heart with people who are part of your tribe, your family, right? You don't roll over and go to bed when there's this gigantic concrete wall of emotional distance between a man and a woman. You know why you don't go roll over and go to bed? Because you're the leader. Because if there's distance, it's your job to figure out why is there distance and remove the distance. So you don't roll over and put your behind in your wife's direction and pretend like you're just going to sleep. If there's a wall between you, you're the leader. Leaders do something about it. Leaders remove walls. If there's a problem, your kids are growing distant. They may be making bad choices. There's emotional distance between you and your children. You go to your child's room. You knock on the door, and you say, hey, I love you, and I'm feeling like there's something has come between us, and I don't want anything to come between us because I'm your daddy, and I love you more than anything. You fight for the affections of your kids because you're the leader. You don't wait for your kids to come to you. You don't wait for your wife to put on your pants and lead the relationship. You're the man of God. You're the leader of your home. Recognize where the battle's coming from. The battle is not my wife. The battle is not my kids. The battle isn't a real enemy out there. And I have to say this, as the man of God in this house, I will not allow the enemy to destroy my marriage and to destroy my legacy in my kids. And I'm just telling you, how does the devil do this? The devil will neutralize a man's leadership. How many of you know that your problem is not generally being too aggressive? Your problem is being too passive. Because when we get our feelings hurt or things aren't going the right way, we get passive, we get complacent, we get indifferent, and we get directionless. There's nothing worse than a man who's lost his sense of direction that doesn't know he's the leader, doesn't know where he's supposed to be going, doesn't know how to get there, and just quits. And there's a lot of men, understand this, if you came here to church today, I am not here to beat you down, I am here to lift you up. Because I know if you came here today with your tail between your legs, here's what's happening. The devil is trying to neutralize your leadership. Be, be wise to what's going on. Be able to recognize what's happening. If there's the slightest impulse in you to throw in the towel and quit, I'm telling you, that is the devil working to bring destruction to you, to your wife, to your kids. Fight them like crazy. Fight them like crazy. Now, I'm going to teach you how to fight this morning, 
And I want to give you the scripture verse that tiny weak men memorize first. Tiny men. Wimpy men. Men that haven't figured out how to lead like Jesus. They don't know a lot of the Bible, but they know this verse. Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit yourself. (laughs) I wear the pants around here. You might, be, you might be wearing your big boy panties, but you're standing before God and you are buck naked. Because here's the problem. Wives, submit yourself to your husband. Anytime you have to resort to preaching Bible verses at your wife. I'm sure she's going, oh, that was so anointed. Can I buy the DVD? Will you please anoint me with oil and lay hands on me so I can submit to you? No, she's not saying any of those things. She's saying, what is your problem? If you got to command me to submit to you and throw Bible verses at me, dude, you got a problem. That's not how Jesus leads. That's not how a godly man leads. Oh, but then we go to the second verse that we actually remembered. Ephesians 5.22. For wives... This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Oh, we forgot that part, that as part. He is the Savior. Oh, I'm supposed to resurrect dead things. I'm supposed to forgive. I'm supposed to heal. I'm supposed to bring life like a Savior to my wife. As the church submits to Christ. Oh, we got this part down too. So your wives should submit to your husbands in. And we remind her of the everything. All right, now we're going to mess with you guys. The word submission, oh, it's such a cuss word in today's culture. But it's such a beautiful word. Actually, it's a military word. It's a fitting word for this weekend. The word submission, the prefix sub means to be under or to arrange under the mission. Now, some of you guys are going to get something out of this. To arrange under the mission. How many, how many veterans in this place? How many of you know there's two things that you, every veteran knows in this place? As soon as you come into a combat situation, you know who's in authority, who's in command, right? Who, who's in charge? That's the first question they teach you because authority is important. Who's in charge? Well, men, let me help you. In the home, you are. Have we solved that issue? Who's in charge? You are. Here's the second issue. I know who's in authority. Here's the second question. What is our mission? Because if you don't know the mission, there can be no submission. You, 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 can't, get, you can't get under a mission if you don't know the mission. So if a man doesn't lead, if a man isn't loving God, if a man is not clear about who he is, if a man is not self, uh, selfless and sacrificing and leading his home, then his wife and kids are standing there scratching their head going, submit to what? We don't even know what the mission is. If I were to ask you men this morning, in one sentence, 
to open up your Bible, on the cover of your Bible, and to write in one sentence your mission. What, what are you called to do in your family? Could you do it? Could you encapsulate your mission in one sentence or two sentences? And let me just say this. As a father of four daughters, beautiful daughters, I might add, daughters that I love very, very much, this is for any man in this room that's a single man. If any of you had an interest in my daughter, this is what I would want to know. If you're going to someday want the privilege of leading my daughter, I want to know your mission. And if you do this, I just love your daughter so much, shut up. That's a given. That's a given. I want to marry your daughter because I hate her. I already get that. You don't hate her. You love her. What is your mission? Here's a question. Where, if I give you her hand in marriage, where is she going? Which means if you're still playing 80 hours of video games in your mom's basement, don't come to my daughter and, and approach me about asking her. Because you have no mission. It also means, listen to me, if you're young and you're struggling, you're not alone. Hey, can I just say this? Thank God for the body of Christ. Thank God for a place where you don't have to figure it out on your own. Thank God for godly men who have a mission that can help you. But here's the deal. When I went to Mary's dad to ask her, him for her hand in marriage, I was broke as joke, all right? I had, I had nothing. We had a, when we got married, I had a yellow four-door, lemon yellow, by the way. It wasn't even cool yellow. Bright lemon yellow four-door Chevy Chevette we inherited from my mom and dad. Hatchback. Everything we owned fit in that hatchback. And the trip to Virginia Beach, where I was going to grad school, took so long because every mountain made the car overheat, and I have to go down on the other side and let the car cool down. We got there at 3 o'clock in the morning. The electricity had been shut off. We couldn't even see where we were sleeping till morning when the sun came up. We got in at like 3 in the morning. It was nuts. I didn't have squat. But here's what I had. I loved his daughter like crazy. I didn't want to be away from her. I knew she had to be a part of my life. I didn't want to go off to graduate school without her. And you know what else I had? I had a mission. I loved Jesus, and I was pursuing the call of God. And listen to me, let's not put unrealistic burdens, financial burdens on our young people that want to get married. Can we just believe that if they have a mission, and they have a vision, and they're motivated, and they love God, and they treat each other well, they're going to make it. They're going to make it. If I had to wait, I had eight kids, as you all know, and I'll just tell you this. Before the next one popped out, we never had enough money for the previous ones that were already on planet Earth. If I was going to wait till I had financial security, are you joking me? My security was in the mission. My security was in my identity as a man of God. How many of you know every great man of God had a mission? Joshua said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. How many of you know that's a great place to start? I hang things in my house with scripture verses on it. You know why? It reminds me, my wife and my children, of why we're on planet Earth. You know, parents, when you get those, well, everybody has one. Well, everybody. We ain't everybody. We're a family on mission. On this mission, that's not part of the mission. It solves problems when you know why your family exists. We're not like everybody. 
We're a first fruits family. As for our house, we're going to serve the Lord. Are you hearing me? Psalm 27, 4, David said this one thing. See, men with a mission are men of one thing. They, they figured out what matters the most. David said this one thing I'm going to ask of the Lord. This one thing I'm going to seek the most. I want to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. David wasn't saying I want to p- pitch a tent right here at the altar and just hang out in the temple forever. That's not what he's saying. He said, I want to be a man of God's presence. I want to be a man of God's purpose. I got any men out here today that they, they could latch onto those two. I want to be, I want to pursue the pers- purpose of God for my life and my family. I want to pursue the presence of God. Can I just share something with you? I'm crazy about my wife. But listen to me. After your honeymoon's over, after your first kid, after your first house, after your first promotion, after your second kid, after your first new furniture, your new carpeting, after your first vacation as a family, listen to me. If you don't have a greater mission than that, you're not going to have enough gas in your tank to sustain your marriage and your family. Because you know what? We got together, and this is what we said. I am committed to making the biggest splash possible for the glory of God with my life. How about you? She said, that's me too. Count me. And I said, I think we got something going here. Because if your mission isn't bigger than you, and your mission isn't bigger than stuff, and your mission isn't bigger than your job, I'm telling you it's not big enough to sustain what God wants to do in you and in your family. You've got to have a bigger mission. Paul said it this way. He said, I want to know Christ. Let me just tell you this. When I have a young man whose lifestyle I see that says, I don't want to love Jesus. I want to do it right. He might not know how to do it. He might need to be discipled. He might not come from a godly home. But he says this, I want to do it right. You know, I'm thinking of Daniel Kennedy for, here for a service. He's, he's teaching the, the children now. You know, Daniel didn't come from the perfect house like many of you didn't. But Daniel, every time I'd get together with Daniel, with tears running down his face, he was wanting to do it right. Did he always do it right? No. Did he fall on his face a time or two? Yeah, haven't we all? This isn't about perfection. This is about having a heart toward God. How many of you know David didn't always do it right? I think he committed adultery, didn't he? I think he had the the man murdered, didn't he? But God said, that's a man after my own heart. That's almost insulting for us to hear. God wasn't blessing the, the sinful behavior, but underneath the sinful behavior was a man who was broken and wanted to come back to God and wanted to do it right and had a hunger for God's presence when he did it wrong. God, I'm looking for young men today to say, I want to know Jesus. I want to pursue him. I want my life to count. I want to be serious in my discipleship. I don't want to do it the way everybody else is doing it. I'm looking for those kind of young men. And let me tell you this, I know a lot of young ladies that are looking for those kind of young men. They're like, Pastor, where, where's the godly man? Where's the godly man? I'm saying today, where's the godly men? Where are the young men that will say like Paul, I want to know Jesus Christ. I haven't arrived yet, Paul said. I'm not perfect, but this is what he said. I'm pressing into this thing. I'm leading. I'm taking initiative. I'm in the word. I'm in fellowship. I may be in a life group. I'm going off to an encounter. I need some garbage out of my life. I want to pursue God. I'm pressing after God. That is a man that is going somewhere. That is a man that's teachable. That's a man with a mission. That's a man I can entrust a daughter to. Husbands, make it easy for your wife and children to live with you on mission. 
And I want to ask you men, are you living for a cause greater than yourself and your pleasure and your happiness and your success, whatever that looks like? I'll just tell you this. There's something attractive about a man with a sense of direction on his life. You know, I'll go back to Andrew. When I met Andrew uh, 10 years ago, or actually we didn't meet, we, we came together again, and I asked him what he was doing. He, he was lost in the Asian world of, I don't know who I am, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm going to go get another advanced degree. That's what Asians do, by the way, when they don't know who they are. They just get more education. That's why, man, dang, those people are smart. Yeah, and some of them are really smart and don't have a clue about who they are. So this is what I said to Andrew. Why don't you stop spending money on college classes? And why don't you come live in my basement? I didn't really say that. But I said, why don't you come move to Crown Point, and we can help you figure out who you are. You know what? He knows who he is. His, his wife knows who he is. His children know who he is. And he's on mission right now. And they know where he's going. And Debbie and the kids can follow because the mission is clear. So she can submit to the mission because the mission is clear. And the man leading the mission is leading like Jesus. Anybody hear what I'm talking about? This is how this thing works. It's easy for a woman to follow a man who knows where he's going. And I'll quote from the, I'll quote from the Ron Johnson mes- message Bible this morning. Sexy is a man who knows where he's headed. You know, when, I, when I'd call up my wife, it wasn't like, hey, how are you? Good. She'd be like, what you want? I don't know. Click. No. Hey, I'd love to be with you. I'm crazy about you. What are you doing tonight at 7? Oh, I don't have anything planned. Great. Be ready. I'm swinging by to pick you up. Where are we going? I'm not telling you. It's going to be a surprise. Sexy! (laughs) I'm trying to help some of y'all out. Not like, I don't know. Where do you want to go? You, you wonder why she's wearing your pants. Because they're too big for you. See, a lot of ladies that have taken control, it's not that they want to take control. It's that they wish you would for once. It's they'd like somebody to follow. They'd like not to be lectured to. They don't want to hear your one sermon again on Submit. And they'd like for you to have a vision for the marriage that includes them and helps them, how about this, helps them flourish and blossom and come to life and chase you in your vision for your family. <laughs> Ladies, you got to help me, all right? Come on. But we've got to get to the second point here. Love, you got to not only lead like Jesus, you got to love like Jesus. The Bible says, wives, submit to your husband, listen, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. In other words, there's got to be a fit to this. What is the fit that we're talking about? The fit is my leadership as a man of God should fit what? It should fit the goodness of God. It should fit the glory of God. It should fit the greatness of God. I should be a reflection in my leadership of what God is like. God's not selfish. 
God, God's not self-seeking in, in the way humans are. It's not all about him. In fact, Jesus demonstrated the way we lead by giving his life selflessly. How many men know our biggest problem as men in leading is we're selfish? We want it the way we want it. We want it how we want it. We want it when we want it. And our wife's job is to make us happy. No, it's not. Let me turn it around. Your job is to make your wife happy. Your job is to love her in such a way that she is enlarged as a woman in terms of her beauty, her character, her calling, what God has placed within her, her gifts, her abilities. Our job is to love as Jesus. And listen, the love of Jesus makes things come alive. You know, the love of Jesus, check this out. I'm going to want to read this first for us. This is a good one. Ephesians 5.25. This is from the message translation, paraphrase. Observe how Christ loved us. Okay, well, how did Jesus love us? His, his love was not cautious, but extravagant. Oh, he, the love of Christ for us, every one of us, is his affection, his, his cherishing of us is extravagant in nature. His service of us, extravagant. Listen, he didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. And then he says, love like that. How I many of you know, guys, we, we need help. <laughs> we need help. Now, let me just tell you, there, I grew up in a conservative family, fi- financially conservative. My dad was a school teacher. My mom was a homemaker. Um, I told you I was born with physical problems. We had medical bills. Money was tight. Can I get an amen on that? Anybody relate to that? Um, I told you our own household. You know, we've had to budget. We've had to be conservative. We've had to, we've had to you know, trust the Lord financially. And, and here's what happened. Over time, I started leading in a small way. I started getting narrowed by the pressures of life, okay? So here's how this works. How many of you guys, whose job is it to make sure that our wife looks like a stinking princess, queen, awesome, gorgeous? Whose job is that? It's not my job for you, but it's my job for my wife. <laughs> Do your own work. So here's the deal. I remember when I was taking my wife out. I keep pointing over there, but she's not there. So um, <laughs> she went that way. All right. But we went out to shop for, for clothing. Now this is where guys mess it up all the time. The, the layers on my wife's arm keep growing. I swear she'd have to, she gets like biceps that are huge from carrying on one arm all the clothes she's going to try on. But why is she trying them on? Because she wants to look beautiful for moi. So this is what she says to me. She'll walk out. One time we were trying to get her a new suit, pantsuit. She came walking out. There she is. Wait, stay right there, babe. Stay right there. So she comes walking out in her, in her new pantsuit. And listen to me. Guys, you do not have the authority to lust after any woman except the one with a ring on her finger that you put there. So when your wife, when your wife walks out, you're not like, uh. No. You're like, whoa. Woo. You make that look awesome. And you have 50 other things on your arm that you're going to make every one of those look awesome as well. In fact, turn around, turn around. And I'm like, I'm like, woo! Making that pantsuit look great. I mean, listen, this is pure 
marital passion, love, cherishing. You're supposed to act this way with your wife, for God's sake. This isn't being a pervert. This isn't being carnal. This is what's supposed to happen in your marriage, not outside of your marriage. So my wife, she says, I said, oh, baby, man, that looks awesome. So then she comes out with the second one. Oh, you're asking me to do the impossible. It's your body inside a second pantsuit. How am I supposed to make a choice? It's the same, it's the same you inside of both pantsuits. So don't ask me which one I like better. You, you make them both look stunning. I'm helping some of you all out. Take notes. Listen to the podcast. Write this down. Rehearse it when you're married so it doesn't sound like you're reading it. But trust me, it works. So then I go to my wife. Oh, you're going to get into the sermon? All right. <laughs> okay, what I have to interject is my husband would do that to me when I was eight months pregnant, when I was three months after having a baby, and I didn't look so... Come on, yeah, you did. Well, you looked awesome. And he spoke life and life and life and knew those moments when I didn't feel so desirable or as you age or whatever but he's spoken life and life and life and you know what people will say you know you're so happy or your marriage is so great and I said you know I have a great God and I have a man that loves me to life well you have a man on a mission this is important because what we're sharing what we're sharing works for everybody ladies get a man on a mission husbands get a mission serve your wife love your wife and here's what I told her that day when money was tight, and normally I would be like, because the reason she asked me which one is because we only could buy one. So she might have 80 beautiful items of clothing, but we're going to get one. So that day I decided, you know what? The love of God is extravagant. My love for you is extravagant. We're getting two. <laughs> we're, not, we're not deciding which one. Get both of them. Oh, are you kidding? It's like, it's like she died and went to heaven. Are you kidding I'm trying to get more extravagant with my affection for my wife. Because listen, well, who's my model? Jesus is my model. Jesus isn't narrow and confined. He is bold and extravagant. Men, are you extravagant with your words? Are you extravagant on the date nights? Are you extravagant with what you buy your wife? Do you make sure that she looks gorgeous? Because it's your job to make sure she's radiant. With beauty, you're the one that swept her off her feet. You're the one that asked her to join your mission. Make sure she's happy to be on your mission. How do you do that? You love her well. You care for her. You encourage her when she's expanding, shrinking, everything in between. Listen, she's my wife. She's beautiful all the time. She's my covenant partner. That's the way Jesus loves his bride. I'm not done yet, but anyway, thank you. Last point. Is anybody getting anything out of this? Last point, after loving like Jesus, is living like Jesus. Here's my question, guys. Is your mission big enough to include others and to increase others? In other words, is your dream for your life big enough that you're going to impact more people than just your immediate family? Now listen, 
The vision to impact your family is a great thing. I want a legacy. I want grandkids that love Jesus, great-grandkids that love Jesus. I want to go to my tomb, and all my kids want to show up at my funeral because they like their dad. Their grandkids show up. That's how I want to go out. I want them, to, I want them all to be crying uncontrollably when I'm dead. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just cry. Ah! I want them to cry like crazy. You know why? Because it'll be a sign that I left an impression in their hearts. Oh, I want them to cry, but I want them to cry tears of joy. You know, I shared this first service. Yesterday, I had the greatest pleasure of spending two hours in the evening with my father. And I said, you know, his shoulders are all locked up, and he's probably watching right now. He and and mom are at symphony and probably watching. So, Dad, I love you, and I'm so proud of you. But I want my life to be large enough and my mission to be large enough that many, many people are impacted over the course of my life, and that the legacy that we leave uh, is a large one and an extravagant one. Some of you know our mission is big, and our God is big. Our commander-in-chief is so big. And I just asked Dad, I said, hey, you know, can I rub, rub on your shoulders? Does that feel good? You know, that's not, that's not something my dad and I did together uh, for most of my life, all right? I, we weren't sitting there rubbing each other's shoulders, but I knew that his shoulders uh, were locked up. And so I just sat behind him with lotion and, and just worked on his shoulders. And I'm telling you, I was trying to hold it together. Because my dad is a big man on the inside and a big man on the outside. And I remember as a, as a younger man growing up, my dad would be putting his tie on on Sunday morning. And I would come up next to him and I would stand behind him and I would be completely lost in the man that was my father. You couldn't see me on the other side. I was completely hidden in his shadow. And, I, and as a young boy, I kept thinking, that is so cool. That's my dad. And he's big and he's strong. And I watched him minister here for 30 years. So faithful. I watched him kick men in the butt for 30 years and challenge guys to die and Challenge guys to be the man in their home that they're called to be. Challenge guys not to quit when they wanted to quit. I watched him closely. I lived in his house. I watched him. He's my model for ministry. He's my hero. And I'm sitting behind him with shoulders that are, are mostly skin and bone. Realizing that in some small way at this season of his life, I'm able to bring him some pleasure and some joy just in being with him. And I kept thinking, how grateful, what a, what a privilege it is to spend time with great men. You know, it's a privilege to be in the presence of greatness. And there's no greater greatness than knowing that the greatness is in your own home and you have to watch it up close and personal. You know, there's not a, there's not a man in this room, I'm looking at some young men, starting with your families right now. I'm telling you, the world tells you to, to quit. The world tells you to cheat. The world tells you to lust after other women. The world tells you to do all kinds of things, all because the devil wants to neutralize you. But in a moment of sanity, when the noise of the world is shut out, you realize that when you're 80 years old or 92 years old, that what matters the most was that you led your wife and your family on mission, that you loved well, and that you lived well, 
and that you left this amazing legacy that came out of Christ in you. You, you didn't just exist, but you existed for a reason. You didn't just run your business or build your company, but you built your company with a kingdom vision to use what, what it is that God's put in you to be a blessing to people. I can't tell you what was surging through my heart, putting my hands on the shoulders of a dad who all of his life just tried to make sure he could lift me higher and that someday I would be able to stand on his shoulders and build on what he's built and build on the legacy that he's built. And if I can be half the man that he's been, to my wife and to my kids, I will have lived a successful life. You know, I ended first service this way. It was just a spontaneous thing, but I really felt like it was the Lord, and I want to do it this service. I just want to end by inviting the men in this place. If you're committed, you know, you're not perfect. None of us are perfect. Please don't. That's not the message this morning. But if there's a desire in your heart that resonates with what I preach today, and you're like, you know what? I just want to rededicate my manhood to the Lord Jesus Christ. You might not be married. You might be, you might be in high school, junior high school, elementary school. I don't know who you are today if you're a man. Or you might be a, a senior. But you might be at the end, end, of your, end of your season, your golden years, as they say. But I just think there's something holy about men that say, you know what? I want to love and lead and live like Jesus. And I want to make sure that my wife and my kids know that I'm a man on mission and that I, they can follow me where I'm going. If that's you, I just want you to join me up here. I want to pray together with every man that's hungry to leave that kind of legacy, all right? So hop out of your seats. Come join me here at the altar right now. We're going to pray. And Victor, praise God. I, Victor, it's, tell your dad it's so good to see him. He was dealing with a... Uh, hello, my brother. So good to see you. Amen. We got Melvin here on the front row. Melvin has had some health issues, not been able to be with us. We've got some other men. My father-in-law, who's been a man on mission. Uh, We've got Lowell Nygaard, who's probably listening in online. We've got others that are unable to be here uh, because of health reasons. But this is awesome. What I want to do, guys, if we can get as close as we can get, put put an arm on somebody's shoulder, and, uh, and let's just commit to the Lord. And ladies, let's pray that Living Stones would be known for great men. Not great in their own minds, their great selfish ambition or something like that, but great in God's mind and in God's heart, and that we'd leave a legacy. Lord, what a, what a privilege it is to stand with the men of this church. God, thank you for the incredible call and the privilege to be leaders in our homes. And Lord, for the incredible example that you've set for us, and the way that you love so extravagantly. You know, God, we stand here today as, as imperfect men. We've all had to deal with our own selfishness, our own anger, our own lust. We've all said things we wish we could not, have not have said. We've done things we wish we could reverse the tape and wash it all away. But Lord, we're not going to look back. We're going to look forward. And Lord, we're going to believe that your grace and your mercy is on us now to forgive us and to heal us. And Lord, we're going to recommit ourselves right here today, standing on common ground, right before the cross, realizing that apart from Jesus, we'd all be a mess. 
But Lord, together and with you, there's so much potential right here, right here at this holy moment, right here on this ground. So Father, help us to love well and to lead well and to live well. I pray for every man here to be encouraged in his vision, Claire, in his mission. God, that you would refuel us, that you would re-envision us. God, that every man here would know who he is, would know how much he's loved by you, would know what the amazing gifts and talents and anointings, abilities that you've deposited in our hearts as men. And Lord, we offer ourselves, can you join me in that? Lord, we just offer ourselves back to you. Lord, we all can think of things that need to be fixed in us, in our families, our wives, our kids, grandkids. Lord, we ask you, as we invite you in, Lord, do some resurrection, do some healing, do some reclamation, Lord, do, do some renovation in our legacy, God. Help us to love more than we ever have. Help us to go lower and to give our lives away more than we ever have. Lord, slay the selfishness that still remains in our heart as men. Lord, we want to be selfless. We want to put others first. We want to learn, Lord, how to love well. So Jesus, take us today. I feel like this is a a beautiful offering of manhood that we're giving to God right now. You're surrounded, guys, by by men that will sharpen you and encourage you. We don't have to do this alone. We're surrounded by men that say, I want to know Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. So, Lord, from the youngest man here to the most senior saint in this place, to those that are watching online, God, we pray for a release, a fresh anointing, a fresh mantle to fall upon us, God, that there would be a strength of manhood that would arise in our hearts God, that we would be the men you've called us to be in this day, in this hour. God, that we'd pick up the sword if we've laid it down. That we'd pick it up in our hands. And Lord, that we'd start swinging once again. God, deal with the temptations around us, this toxic culture, all the sexual perversion, everything that's out there that tells us this is the way to live. This This is the way to be a man. God, we die to all of that. And we ask you to guard our hearts and to cause our passion for Jesus to burn brighter, more passionate than it's ever been. Lord, we love you. Thank you for putting us in a family like this. Thanks for brothers who have the same mission. Now, Lord, together, help us to do great kingdom exploits for your glory. Bless our families. Bless our marriages, God. Bless this place. Let the strength of manhood provide an ongoing stability and strength and anointing as we take new lands, kill new giants, do new exploits, God. I pray, too, for every man here. God, I ask you for an anointing to see and to dream like you've never seen or dreamt before. Lord, consume every man here with a burning passion for your vision, your dreams, your calling over our lives together. God, let them come alive. Let them awaken. Let their hearts come alive. God, I pray for marriages that are struggling. I pray for an explosion of new love and new hope and new vision. God, tear down the walls that have been trying to separate husbands from wives and husbands, fathers from their children. God, we just receive that blessing right now. Just in your own heart right now, just say, thank you, Lord. There's a mantle of leadership God's placing on you. It's on your shoulders right now. God's placing it on your shoulders right now. And he's going to give you the grace to lead and to love and to do it well. So thank you, God. We have what it takes. 
Continue to lead us now, Jesus, on mission. In your name we pray, and every man here said, Amen. Amen. Hey, why don't you greet one another? Ladies, we're officially dismissed. Men, we're officially dismissed. Marriage class today, 4 o'clock, all right? We love you all. Have a great, great, great weekend.